I want you to say this scripture with me again. Say it with me. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Come on, say it again. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Get it deep in your spirit. Say this, no fear here. Amen. You know, you can't do anything about anybody else, but you can do everything about your heart today. I'm going to talk to you about living again. You know, Scripture tells us that that spirit that the world gives, that spirit of fear is not the spirit that God gives us. We know that our minds are working right and that we're operating in victory and power and in love when we're not in fear. And that's God's ideal for you and for me. But fear has been so effective the past few years that many good people have just stopped living. They're physically here, they're breathing, they're functioning. But I want you to understand something at the outset. God has called you to do more than just exist. He's called you to do more than just function. You know, just be here. He has more for you than that. In this season that we've been in, people stop going to work, stop going to church, stop going to the store, stop going to eat, stop going on vacation, stop tending to their business. They just stopped doing a lot of things. And I can tell you this, God wasn't in any of it. God was not you being put on a shelf. God was not your dreams and vision being delayed. God's not in any of this. There's still spirit out there in this world that says if something happens, God must have had his hand in it. God must have done it. God must have allowed it. Let me tell you something. And if you look in the garden, you'll see the will of God. And in the garden, you don't see disease. You don't see lack. You don't see hunger. You don't see war. You don't see rumors of wars. You see nothing but peace and provision. In heaven, you see the same thing. In the ministry of Jesus, you see the same thing. So don't go around blaming my father for what people and the devil have done. Because it didn't exist until people disobeyed God. God's dream has never changed. I have good friends in ministry. Some of them are quite the theologians, and I'll hear them say things and they'll post things that somehow it's like they never got around to actually reading the New Testament or understanding that if it ever was God's dream for you to live a good life, it still is. And there's this idea that, you know, we're not supposed to enjoy anything. We're just supposed to live here and die and go to heaven one day because this life here is completely worthless and meaningless, and God never really intended for this to be anything. Let me tell you something. God never intended for you and me to die He never intended for rebellion. He never intended for sin. His dream has always been the same. He plopped us in the garden and he put everything that would would attend to our goodness, would attend to our pleasure, would attend to our best state, our prosperous state. And it was ever God's dream. It's still his dream. And you say, well, that was lost because of sin. Yes, but don't stop reading there. You know, some people can't get past Genesis 3 in their minds. You're no longer a fallen species. You're redeemed in Jesus' name. And so you can have the dream back that God had for you. And you can see him do great things in your life. So this idea that, yeah, let's just die and go to heaven one day because this life's just supposed to stink and nothing good's supposed to happen. That's not God's dream. He has a plan for you in this life. And right now it revolves around getting as many people as we can to heaven. Let's make it hard to go to hell from Murray, Kentucky. Can I have an amen? Let's make it hard to go to hell from Callaway County. And we're not going to do that with a fatalist idea. Let's just wait and hold our breath and die and go to heaven one day. No. We're supposed to show 
God for who he is, and he's good. Amen? I love scriptures like 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Say it with me. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. Does that sound like just a die-and-go-to-heaven theology? No, he's the one that gives you all things richly to enjoy. In fact, the Bible tells us that the thief cometh not before to steal and kill and destroy. In the past couple of years, all you see is the activity of the devil. He's stealing life, he's killing life, and he's destroying life. But that verse doesn't end with that thought. That verse ends with this thought, a great big but. I have come that they might have life to the full till it what? Till it overflows. He came to give you abundant life. The devil came to take it, but God has come to give it to you. And oh, by the way, that's also in the New Testament. So if Jesus said, I can have abundant life, I'm going to take it. Any takers out there with me? Raise your hand if you're going to take the abundant life that he promises. Amen. Not just in the by and by, but now. I want you to see today that God is still interested in you living your life to the full, making a difference for the gospel. Amen. Being a person that has influence and, and helping other people along the way, he's got plans to use you. In fact, I love this scripture over in Isaiah chapter, um, I guess we'll see it in 51 verse 3. Uh, just the other day, Israel reported that they now have been able to germinate and cause to grow a plant that hasn't plant, hadn't grown in that region of the country for thousands of years. Right out of the word of God. The blessing of God. Do you know that God can cause things that are barren in your life to grow again? Do you know that when it comes to the resurrection life, nothing is truly dead for the believer? Hey, if he can do that over there in Israel, he can do something in your life today. Something that's just laying there low, not doing anything. It says this, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He'll make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the sound of singing, amen, restores the garden. Look, this is not in the by and by. This is happening right now in the land of Israel. Restoration of lands, restoration of crops, restoration of life, restoration as according to God's blessing. It's not just in the sweet by and by. Look at somebody and say it's in the nasty now. Now if he can do this over there for plants and crops that would, would not grow under the wrong leadership, amen. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's important to have the blessing on your life. And God's blessed people now are there and controlling that land. And you can see that God is fulfilling his word. Now, I don't uh, you know, know particularly specifically what needs to be growing in your life again, but I know a God who can cause it to grow. And can I tell you the same, same thing with you as with Israel? You have the blessing on your life today. Come on, say it, I am blessed. Say it, I am blessed and I can't be cursed. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed in the city. And a blessing in the country. Amen. He intends you to have what? Life. When? Now. It's a foregone conclusion you're going to have it in glory. Amen. There's some people on earth that when they get to heaven, they go, no, I don't want to live a good life. Just give me a little shack over there by the river. Sorry, wrong place. There are no shacks up there. 
Amen? So you need to start changing your mind right now. Amen? Jimmy, all happy if you got some rocks on your dirt road out there in the county. I know how you feel. Uh, all maintenance stops right before you get to my road. Seriously. When you get to our road, there's no pavement on the other side. You turn right and they get the pavement. That's because there's a church of Christ down there. I see how it goes in this county. Amen. You get the pavement down this way, but there's no pavement on this side. Also, when it snows and ices, guess what? There's no treatment on our side of the road. So how do you think that I should get a refund of my taxes? Amen. I'm thinking so, yeah. I know the man that's a county judge executive. I'm going to call him up. Amen? Praise, I'm going to tell him that you said I said that I could go. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. But you understand today that he is doing something, not just in the future, but he wants to do something now in your life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And I, I look at this scripture, and it just come, it really comes alive to me today regarding Mephibosheth and Lodabar. And I'll tell you, it, it, it's so crystal clear to me today that uh, like this man who wasn't living, there are a lot of people in the body of Christ that aren't living. Amen? I want you to look at that scripture with me, if you would. And I just want to read a few verses from 2 Samuel chapter 9. And let me know when you're there. Say, I'm there. Glory to God. I'm so thankful that heaven's not paved with rocks <laughs> and tar. Second Samuel 9, David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now note that, for whose sake? For Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and they called him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's in the house um, of Makir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. Say, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought uh, from Lodabar from the house of Makir, the son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always sit at my table. Isn't that wonderful? You always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now watch this. This is the grandson of the king. This is the son of the heir to that throne. And he sees himself as a dog. A lot of people in the body of Christ just like this. Why would you notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. And we know from uh, historical records that that's a vast amount of land and assets. 
You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring it in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. How many know they can get the job done? Now watch this. By saying that uh, Mephibosheth would eat at his table, he's not just saying he's going to eat with me. What he's saying is he's coming under the protection of the throne. No one's going to touch him. And Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table and ate at the king's, uh, as one of the king's sons. And there are people, uh, scholars, that believe that this indicates that David also adopted this man. Literally. So not only is he an heir to Saul, he's now an heir to David as well. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled on both feet. Amen. How many times did it mention he ate at the king's table? He ate at the king's table. He ate at the king's table. He was provided for, and he was protected. How many know, according to Psalm 23, you and I have a table also? And we eat where? We eat at the king's table and we come under his protection. Now, Lodabar is a place that illustrates just surviving rather than living. You and I were redeemed to live, not exist. And there are people here that maybe physically you're in a Lodabar, mentally you're in a Lodabar, emotionally you're in a Lodabar, spiritually you're in a Lodabar, but you don't have to stay there. You know, if you ever see God do something for anyone in Scripture, He can do the same thing for you. He's no respecter of persons. He's a respecter of faith. Say, I believe. believe. Well, Pastor, you know, low to bar is all I can expect. You know, that's just the way it is for me and my family. Well, let me tell you this. You need to go from low to bar to raising the bar today. God has so much more for you than that. I'm going to just explain what low to bar means, how we got there, and, and how we get out today. Lodabar is an interesting concept, and you know, actually, uh, a city on the fringe of of what God would say the kingdom is. There's no word there. It literally means no word. Say no word, no No communication, and no thing. Say no word, no communication, no thing, which means there's nothing coming from God there. There's no prophetic voice. There's no good news there. It's barren, completely barren of the things of God. It's also barren in terms of its ability to produce and sustain a life. It's destitute. It's fruitless. It's isolated. It's what's described by many writers as a slum. There's nothing there that you would want. There's no word. There is no purpose. There's no pasture. There's no fruit. There's no joy. There's no victory. Everything is in the lack category. That's Lodabar. This is where the grandson of the king is living. It's like a town of forgotten people. And that's what it's like to live there. I want you to know that you're not forgotten. Mephibosheth was not forgotten, and you're not forgotten. They said, well, you know, you don't know my life, what's going on. The situation, the people that have walked out on me people that have abandoned me. Let me tell you something. Don't judge your future by what other people have done. They never called you in the first place. You live long enough and stupid people are going to do what stupid people do. Amen? 
Don't forget the theology according to Forrest Gump. Stupid is as stupid does. And it's a mistake for you to judge yourself because of what other people have done. Amen? You focus on what did God say about you. So you can see that this place is no place you want to be. Whether it is physical, mentally, emotional, or spiritual, this is not God's best. This is not what we were redeemed to live in. There's so much more that he has for us. But the question is, how do we even get there? How did Mephibosheth get there? And according to 2 Samuel 4.4, 4, uh, he got there because his nurse, in fear, in haste of being destroyed, dropped the kid, he becomes crippled, and brings him to this barren place. I want you to understand this today. The nurse took Mephibosheth because she feared for his life. And even though technically, physically, she saved it, she couldn't keep him from falling and becoming crippled. How did we get in COVID to bar? The same exact way. Fear. There are people living in a COVID-induced Lodabar because of fear. And after a while, when you live in COVID to bar long enough, you forget who you are. You forget what you have. You forget what you can do. You forget that you're royalty. You forget that you're the only living descendant of a king. Because you went into COVID, you went into COVID to bar because of fear, and that's where you've been living. God has more for you than that. Fear will always lead you into Lodabar every single time. There's nothing good that it produces in your life. Fear led him there, and fear will lead you and me there. There's a reason why we say, this is my Bible, I what? I am, and it says I am. But if you live in Lodabar, you're going to forget who you are. What else does it say? I have what it says I can have. And guess what? When you're in Lodabar, it's barren. You don't have what the Bible says you can have. And what's the last part of that? I can do what it says I can do, but you don't remember what you can do in the things of God because you're in that barren place. You're trapped. You don't have to be a Mephibosheth to be there. What's the first letters of the, of the name Mephibosheth? M-E. Me. In the same way. The same situation. It's amazing how, how natural it is in our thinking to, to get into fear and then respond to it, but it doesn't produce the goodness of God. Amen? He got into Lodabar the same way. I, uh, I hope and I, I pray and I believe that you will, that you'll, you'll live your lives to the fullest. Because if it's not COVID, then it'll be something else. If it's not something else... It'll be, what are the Chinese doing? If it's not the Chinese, then what are the Russians doing? I recommend you be more concerned about what you're doing. Amen. God wants you to have an abundant life. But when you're living out in a place with no word, no communication, barren place, spiritually and otherwise, you can't get there. And you have to know one thing for sure. If you're coming out of Lodabar, you're coming out because of a word comes to your heart. Just like when Mephibosheth, it's time to go. Amen? Turn to somebody and tell them it's time to get out of Lodabar and live your life. Come on, say it. I'm coming out 
In Jesus' name. How did you get in? Fear. How did you get out? Hallelujah. Been living too long in Lodabar. The Spirit of God is saying that there are going to be people in churches that break out and they're going to be the tip of the spear to bring a revitalization to the church of Jesus Christ. How many would like to be a part of the tip of the spear and get out there quickly? Amen. See what God has for you. I tell you, you say, what's just natural to get into fear? Well, we're not talking about what's natural because we're supernatural people. What should be natural to you and to me is to walk and to live and to respond in faith. Amen? I realized uh, you know, years ago that there were still remnants of this operating in my life. We've been married about not quite four years, and we were in Hopkinsville pastoring, and we're in a duplex uh, just down from where the church was. And um, I'm sleeping just as soundly as I possibly can, sleeping like a baby. And all of a sudden, in our room, I hear, and it stopped. And I go, and my first response was terror. There's something in our room, and it's, it's dangerous, whatever it was. So I started to drift back to sleep, and I hear, then I had a revelation. It wasn't in the room. It was in our bed. I'd like to tell you that the mighty man of God, faith was rising up. And, but at that moment in time, it wasn't, it wasn't faith at all. So I'm getting real quiet and maybe to go away. <laughs> and I hear, and I'm down now on the floor trying to figure out what this thing is. And I throw back the covers, and it's my wife scratching her toenail on the mattress pad. That's what it was, yeah. If you'll pay attention to this crazy stuff, you'll realize how far down the road you are. That's right. A few years ago, I was taken out by a toenail. Amen. <laughs> and uh, don't look at me at that holy tone. Some of you have been taken out with far less than that. But what does that tell you? It tells you how latent this stuff is and that you have to address it because it's not going to take you to the best life God has for you. It's going to take it back to Lodabar. Amen? Glory to God. Fear makes you look stupid. Can anybody get an image of me crawling around on the room, on the floor? Look at somebody telling them, fear makes you look stupid. It also causes you to make stupid decisions. Are you here today? This nation made a bunch of stupid decisions when it came to COVID debar. We're now finding that out with irrefutable evidence. Uh, Johns Hopkins came out and said all the lockdowns that were mandated amounted to less than 0.2% of a difference towards COVID deaths. Which means they basically said it did not work. And here's what they said. They said this should never be tried ever again in the history of this country. That's what they said. But why do they do it? Well, total and complete fear. Which drove businesses under, which left people under or not employed. So the government decided they would start, what? Basically printing money and sending cash out to everyone which now has driven up our inflation rate approaching 8%. This is all the consequence 
of what Johns Hopkins found shouldn't have been done in the first place. When you get into fear, you do stupid stuff. Now, is God bigger than that? You better believe God's bigger than that. Amen. It'd make any difference if it was 50% inflation. Your God has promised to take care of you. So don't get into fear about the condition of the economy. Amen. Glory to God. The devil wrecked it. God can put it back again. I said the devil wrecked it, but God can put it back again. But stupid people get into fear. They get stupid. Amen. I go to Walmart and you see somebody in a scuba suit with an oxygen tank on their back. People actually really did this. The other day, they had a little kid that had a, a, a chomping bag over the kid's face to protect him. I want to say, the kid needs to breathe, genius. Come on, say it. Fear, Fear. makes you Fear. stupid. Fear. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, the Bangladesh study. 360,000 villagers in 600 different villages of Bangladesh, the eighth most populous nation in the world. A lot of people there, and they all need Jesus, don't they? And they had a control group, and they had a, a test group. And the control group did not receive a mask. The surgical mask you and I are told to wear, encouraged to wear, whatever the case may be. And uh, the other group, of course, had no mask. And they found out that 8.7% uh, or 8.6% of the people who did not wear a mask got infected. And 7.6% of the people who had masks got infected. 1% differential between those that wore them and was those that did not. What did the study by Yale and Stanford teach us? When you get into fear, we do stupid stuff. Now, you can believe what you want about anything and whatever you do. I've said before, do it in faith. Look at somebody and say, do it in faith. But you need to understand that just because something is done doesn't mean that it's backed up by science. And our nation says, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science. Well, until the science goes against your position, then don't follow the science. Follow the politics. Amen? And uh, if our friends in Canada or any indication, people are tired of living in Lodabar. Yes. And they're coming out. I said they're coming out. I said they're coming out. Yes. Worst nightmare to those who politicize this, but, you know, fearful people do stupid things. Yes. Come on, say it. I refuse to be fearful. And I, and I refuse to be stupid. You listen to the Holy Ghost. Right. Amen. Amen. If, you, if the Holy Ghost tells you to wear a snorkel and mask to church, fine, do it. I don't care. I'll laugh at you, but fine, go ahead and do it. <laughs> it's really not that difficult, is for the Lord to tell you how to protect yourself no matter what's going on. Yes, amen. Praise God. When you get into fear, you do what? You do stupid stuff. Amen. And hopefully people can learn from all the silly things that were done in the name of science that they now know was not science. Uh, it's funny to me that the Johns Hopkins, Yale, and Stanford medicine are like the epitome of the best medicine we have in the country. 
And then when it didn't go according to what people thought it should go, suddenly they're dismissing these institutions. For example, Washington University, St. Louis, came out uh, last year and said that uh, the, uh, the people who've had COVID probably will be immune for the rest of their lives. Did anybody get into agreement with that and just go ahead and say that your immune system... I say, can you get into agreement with that? That's a, that's a good thing to hold on to, amen. And if it tries to come on you again, you've already had it, it'll, it'll beat it right out the door, amen? Can you get into agreement with that? That your body's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Come on, say it. I'm getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. We hit every loss of life to this situation, just like we we hit every person who's killed in an automobile accident or lost to cancer or some other disease. But I'm going to tell you this. You need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and start confessing every single day. I'm coming out of Lodabar, and I'm not going to have to wear bubble wrap to do it. Amen. Amen. Say, I'm coming out. So how do you leave Lodabar? How do you get out? Write this down. First of all, number one, it takes a covenant. Takes a king, royalty. And we have what? The king of kings. He longs to show covenant kindness and love. That's what that kindness word means. The whole time Mephibosheth was in Lodabar, he was a covenant man, entitled to a covenant provision. His father, Jonathan, had a covenant with King David. This whole time, it could have been activated. I want you to understand just like Jonathan and David had a covenant and Mephibosheth was the benefactor of it, your heavenly father has a covenant with Jesus and you're the benefactor of that. Jonathan can come out of what? Uh, Mephibosheth can come out of Lodabar because of a covenant between David and Jonathan. You can come out of Lodabar because of a covenant because of the father and between the father and his son, Jesus Christ. Say it, I'm coming out because I have covenant kindness. Showing you what? Kindness because we have a covenant. Why did David do what he did? Because he had an existing covenant that his son Mephibosheth was the benefactor of. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that our covenant is better. Do you agree that our covenant is better than that covenant? So not less covenant kindness, more covenant kindness. How do I get out? I get out with a covenant. How do you thank God you have one? Raise your hand. Thank God. I'm born again. Amen. You're right with God through Jesus Christ. There's no reason for you to live in Lodabar then. Amen. Number two, it takes a decree. David said of Mephibosheth, bring him to me. Bring him to my table. Jesus said it like this. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. To the full, to what? Till it overflows. Jesus said it like this through his apostles. He who has the Son has life. Amen. In Lodabar, there was no word. There was no communication. There was nothing of value to help him spiritually. But can I tell you something? You and I do have a word. I said you have a word. And do you know that that word is contained in the word of God, but it's also reflected in the documents of this nation? We hold these truths to be self-evident. That what? All men are created 
and are given what? Rights that cannot be taken away. By whom? God gave them and the government can't take them away because the government didn't give them to you. Among those God-given rights by the Creator are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we would say the pursuit of blessedness is the higher call. Say it, I'm blessed. Say it, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the world would say, you know, how many people have to die for you to have liberty? If it takes it, then all of them. That's the liberty you've been given. You are not responsible for the entire world. Talk about a Messiah complex. God gave you those rights and no government can take them away. Now the leadership in Canada is about to get a lesson in that. But you know, they're not that far north. Come on, say life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They can't be taken away because they didn't give them to us. They discerned from Scripture that these were given by God. So say it, I'm not going back to Lodabar. Amen. I'm not going back to marching into a restaurant with a mask on and then sit down and eat. Because you know that when I start eating, COVID says, don't touch them, they're eating. No, 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 no. If they drinky or eaty, you no touchy. Going to an airport where people are in line, smacking like sardines with no mask on, but then stick them on the plane and force them to wear a mask. Come on, say it. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Say it with me. Fear makes people stupid. Then a slap one on an 18-month-old baby. And then kick the parents off because the 18-month-old baby don't want to wear one. Stupid. You'll find that common sense will go out the door so fast when people get into fear and COVID is just one example of that. Amen. Say it with me. I'm in faith. I've been given a decree. Abundant life. And I accept that decree. It's a decree over my life. Say it. No fear here. Life. Liberty. And the pursuit of happiness. God given. Man can't take them. Will man try? Amen. Hallelujah. I encourage you that uh, once free, stay free. Amen. It takes a covenant, it takes a decree, and it takes a faith, number three. Faith to believe and to leave and to receive, accept what God has for you because you're an heir. That next step is move on with God and get out. And today, you know what? You have a covenant. And you have a decree. Amen. Question is, will you exercise your faith? Now, I find it interesting here. I want to pray for you because I, I believe that God wants to 
take your life where it's never been before. I believe you're supposed to ride on the high places. I believe your best days are ahead of you. I believe some of you have been depressed and discouraged. Um, that thing is coming off of you. That cloud is no longer going to fall. They're no longer going to call you Eeyore behind your back. That's going to happen. Just say amen. The cloud is gone in Jesus' name. You're shaking the dust of Lodabar off your shoes, out of your thinking, away from your heart, and become what God's called you to become. But I want you to notice this, that uh, there was a covenant and there was a decree and there was faith enough to come out of Lodabar. He joins the man. He comes into David's household. And yet, the first thing out of his mouth, he's called himself a dog. And here's the principle. We got Mephibosheth out of Lodabar. Now we've got to get Lodabar out of Mephibosheth. We get the Christian out of Lodabar, but we've got to get what? Lodabar out of the Christian. Physically out, but also now your mind renewed to who you are, what you can be, what you can have. Amen. The Word of God and the Spirit of God will guide you and direct you and lead you. Amen. Not into a place where you exist. This story proves that God wants you to live an abundant life here, now. And then on the other side, life to come eternal. Amen. It's wonderful to be a believer. Because we get to see things differently than the world. We get to see them through the eyes of Scripture. Amen. Say it with me. No fear here. Come on, say it. No fear here. Say it. I have a covenant. Say it. I have a covenant. I have a decree. And I have a faith. I've moved out of Lodabar permanently. That's not my address. Amen. Forward my mail. Glory to God. Give me a hand clap and thank him if you can receive this today.